Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. As we call on Jehovah for our salvation, we turn to confess our sins to him. 1 Timothy 4.13 is our call to confession this morning. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Devote yourself to them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Paul writes to Timothy here about how to lead the church in his absence. And in the big picture, each of us is called to live this way. Even if we don't do this for a living, we're called to read the word, to exhort people from the word, to figure out the big picture doctrine of the word. Don't neglect your ability to read the word. Give yourself entirely to it. We use the word of God to evaluate our lives and our understanding of God. And so in our worship service, too, we make sure we read more than just a few token verses of Scripture for inspiration. We read from Old and New Testaments each Lord's Day. And I try to balance our diet between law and prophets and writings and gospels and epistles. We need time to consider God's word. And this is partly what the sermon is about, but it's also what the rest of the Lord's Day is about, as well as our preparation before we come. So, are we giving attention to God's Word? Is the question for us today. We'll consider this in a message more. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, 
examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. The grass withers and the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Well, in this next chapter here of Acts, we see Paul persuading people that Jesus is king and using the scriptures to do so. Let's go uh, verse by verse through, first of all. Uh, First, the preaching in verses 1 through 4. And then the response in verses 5 through 9. And then the Bereans at the end of the passage. So, uh, they pass through Amphipolis and Apollonia and come to Thessalonica. So, it seems, and again, they're leaving Philippi, a main Roman colony. And they pass through these other two uh, cities or towns and come to Thessalonica, which is a capital of the province of Macedonia. Again, they seem to be uh, targeting the bigger cities and the more major uh, uh, hubs of civilization. That's what uh, Saul of Tarsus seems to conclude he needs to do. And so they come, and it's also not just a hub of civilization, it's where there's a synagogue of the Jews. Remember in Romans chapter 1, Paul says he, he needs to preach the gospel to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So much of Paul's missionary journey uh, itinerary was directed by where there's a big or main synagogue in a big city. And that's what he does here. He passes through these other two towns, stops in Thessalonica for three Sabbath days, verse 2. Now what he does is explain who Jesus was, that the expected Messiah had to suffer, and he concludes that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ. Uh, That's verse 2 and verse 3. And I want to spend uh, uh, several moments on this. Uh, He concludes this from the scriptures, saying the Old Testament reveals Christ. Uh, One uh, assignment that seminarians are often given in a a decent uh, seminary is to preach a sermon about Jesus from the Old Testament only. And that's a, a very good assignment, because that's something that we ought to be able to do as preachers. So maybe Paul did something like this. Maybe he referred to some of these passages. They're well-known ones. Perhaps you know them. But I want to rehearse this just to keep this stuck in our minds. In Genesis 3.15, God tells Adam and Eve and the serpent that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And Jesus said he came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus fulfills that passage. In Deuteronomy 18, God says that he's going to send someone after Moses to listen to. And when Jesus came, God spoke from heaven at his baptism, and he quoted this same verse, Deuteronomy 18, which ends with the words, listen to him. (laughs) And, And God, at Christ's baptism, says, this is my son, listen to him. 
So you have all kinds of verses like this from Scripture, from the Old Testament. We read 2 Samuel 7, the descendant of David will be on the throne forever. That appears at first glance to be referring to Solomon, right? He's the one who's going to build the house for, for God, right? And Solomon is the one who sins, and then God chastises him, and he remains faithful. And so that does refer in the immediate sense to Solomon. But he also says, there's going to be a descendant on your throne forever. That's not referring to Solomon, because Solomon dies. And in Romans 1, we, we read this, that Jesus was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. So Jesus is the one, the seed of David, who is still on the throne right now. Now, on, this, on the throne of David, which is, has, been, uh, a, has been taken up to God's right hand. So that uh, verse is still being fulfilled even today. Isaiah 53, we also read. Israel uh, reads those verses, the suffering servant of Israel, right? Israel today, the Jews even down to today, read those verses as referring to the nation of Israel itself, right? The Jews generally uh, have always suffered, Throughout history, they're meant to suffer. That's what God means for the nation of Israel. That's how the Jews read that today. But the grammar is repeatedly singular. It's not about a, a people. It's about a person. My servant. Singular. There's an individual who's going to come and do this. And so Christians ever since Jesus have been right to point to Isaiah 53... Uh, just as uh, Philip did with the Ethiopian eunuch, and to say, this is talking about Jesus. So that might be something else that Paul pointed uh, the Thessalonican uh, Jews in this synagogue to. This is in our own scriptures. Jesus did this. I'll uh, end with one of my own favorites, Jesus' own witness. This one's uh, a bit more obscure, and I just love it. Uh, in Ezekiel 34... Uh, God prophesies to the shepherds of Israel. And he says, and he really lambasts them. He lays into them. You're just feeding yourselves. You're not feeding the flock. And God says, so you know what I'm going to do? I myself, verse 31, Ezekiel 34, I myself will come and seek and save my flock. God says. And I probably told you this before, but the first memory verse that I learned was Jesus in Luke 19.10, where Jesus, coming to Zacchaeus' house, says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. It's just a few words, but that's how Scripture works sometimes. He's referring to Ezekiel 34. I'm the shepherd who's come to seek and save the lost. God said, I myself will do it. And Jesus shows up and says, I have come to seek and save the lost. That's Jesus telling us that he's fulfilling Old Testament scripture. So this is what Paul uh, preaches to the Jews in uh, Thessalonica. Uh, what's the response? Uh, verse 4, some were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. Uh, so you, what you have here are, are wives of city leaders. They, they would often go to the Jewish synagogue. It was fashionable in many quarters for them to attend the synagogue. But it was a little worrisome, too, 
uh, for them to start following itinerant preachers who were probably just after their money. And so you, we read that in 1 Thessalonians 2. That's why Paul says to the Thessalonians, we didn't come to you with any evil intent. We weren't looking for your money. We were making our own living on the side. We didn't ask anything of you. We were just giving you a message of who Jesus is. That's why Paul speaks that way in 1 Thessalonians 2. So many believe, but, verse 5, the Jews were jealous, and they take some of the wicked rabble, they form a mob, they set the city in an uproar. Here you see politics used to oppose Christians, the politics of power and force. And again, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 2, Paul says, we came to you in much conflict, <laughs> he says. And that's, that's an understatement. He remembers what's going on, what happened, this mob that they set against them. The charge is revolt, disturbance, treason. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. So they heard about Philippi, in other words, which is rather interesting. And anything that causes a riot is blamed. This was a common uh, brutal... Um, What's the word? Low-resolution Roman justice, right? That Roman justice was not a, a well-honed, perfectly fine machine that just totally nuanced everything, and, and this was okay, and this was... No, 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 no. If you caused a riot, you were to blame. Because the Roman peace is all about peace. Keep the peace. And if you, if you break up the peace and you have a riot, then you're going to jail and you're getting flawed. That's all there is to it. Roman justice was, um, was uh, and is, highly lauded uh, for its great system. But very often, like with Pontius Pilate and Jesus, it was simply about keeping the peace. And if you didn't, you were blamed. So, interesting here, Paul is causing riots, but it's not really Paul causing riots, is it? Uh, Paul's an enemy of Rome because he's being accused of causing riots. Of course, it's his enemies who are doing the rioting and then blaming it on him. That, that's unfair power politics. You see? It, it's, it's like the left today pushing the sexual revolution on our kids and then blaming the parents for starting a culture war when they push back. Which is exactly what they do today. It's the same thing. Same dynamics going on. Now besides, Paul is speaking of another king. That's interesting. Paul is not speaking of Jesus simply as the suffering Messiah. Not just as the Christ. Not just as Lord. But as king. Jesus told Pilate that he was a king. He didn't deny that. So, what you have here is this politics of power. <clears throat> when Israel, back in the Old Testament, entered the Promised Land, the Canaanites did not just hand it over. They put up a fight. And in the Great Commission, Jesus, through his church, is reclaiming territory that his enemies control. And they, just, they don't want to just give it up. And so we're involved in this spiritual battle. Those that we do not persuade and convince 
will attack us. And that's what they do in Thessalonica. This happens today all over in a variety of ways. I could talk about the culture war or the persecution of Christians in pagan lands today. I went to a, a great conference yesterday, um, came back to my family talking politics the rest of the day. They came up with bad words for me. It's too much politics for them. Anyway, today, though, I have a burden to talk with you about our families and about our parenting because the spiritual war is also waged there. And that's something important to think about. When you're parenting young ones especially, you have great ideals and dreams about raising your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And that is wonderful. But it also clashes with your children constantly defying your direction, falling back into that pattern of hitting their brother, lying to you, or whatnot. And there's this serious level of opposition to God that you see in the hearts of your own children. Right? We need to be realistic about that sometimes. It's territory to reclaim for Christ. And that's a massive fight. And dads, you ought to realize that when you step in the door after work, that mom's been on Omaha Beach all day long. And she needs relief. And she needs you to take up the fight while she gets some R&R. Sometimes it's like that and that bad. Well, let's, let's come back to the reality of the situation in Acts 17, verse 8. The people and the city authorities are disturbed. When they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So here you see that the presence of Christians can become a bother and a nuisance in a godless culture. They find Jason. I think this is like bond to get out of jail. I think that's basically what this is. And they may have included a commitment to keep Paul out of town because he leaves right away. And later on in 1 Thessalonians 2, again, Paul says that Satan hindered his return. So that may be what's going on here. I wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, but Satan hindered us, he says in 1 Thessalonians 2. This is partly why Paul writes the letters to the Thessalonians. Because he can't return in person. So, even though King Jesus opposes the city of Thessalonica as they run Paul out of town, Jesus still allows that opposition to remain. That's interesting. Jesus wants his people to figure out how to live, evangelize, and disciple people in a sometimes hostile environment. And that, that just freaks us out as Americans. Again, I heard a lot yesterday about religious liberty and how we need to fight for that, and we do. Uh, but it got really quiet at one point when one of the speakers said, you know, religious liberty isn't really the main point we should be arguing as Christians. I mean, that, that's kind of a weak leg to stand on. We ought to be making arguments to win the day not just be making arguments that we can exist as Christians. And everybody's like, oh. And that's true. That's so true. Now I lost my place because I went off script there. Give me a second. We as Christians in America 
are often horrified at the prospect of this, of having to live as Christians in a hostile environment while our brothers and sisters around the world have been living with it all their lives. As, as the city of man stumbles and collapses around us, we would do well to let Augustine point us back to the city of God. Paul's main response, and Augustine's, to the politics of persecution is simply this, to water and feed the seeds that took root in Christ so that they grow deeper. That's what he does. Read the letter to the Thessalonians. You'll see it all over the place. Uh, The best place, well, let me say this other thing first. I'll stick with my notes. Um, I've been listening to Sinclair Ferguson lately. He's got a great podcast I encourage you to listen to. And and recently he said this. He said, there are lots of young uh, Christian teachers who just criticize and tear down other teachers. And they're, they're all about critiquing error. And there's a place for that. Jude 3 says there is. But Ferguson was saying, our main thing should be feeding God's people with positive truth. That's what we should be mainly about. And that's what Paul does in 1 Thessalonians 2. I love what he says there. I encourage you to read this whole chapter later today if you can. Uh, Paul says to them, we didn't... After he he defends himself, right? We didn't seek glory from people, whether from you or others, verse 6. And we weren't being greedy. Then he says this. We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. That's verse 7. What is it that mothers who are nursing their children are doing? They're just giving them what they need. And, and sometimes that takes your whole body and your whole effort as a nursing mother to do that. But you're giving them, feeding them what they need. Jesus is your shepherd. He's your savior. He's your king. And that's Paul's main message whenever he steps foot in a synagogue. He's, he's feeding them Jesus. And he's exerting every strain in his body just like a nursing mother does at three in the morning every two hours. So that's Paul's response to the politics of power and persecution. Isn't that interesting? Well, they kick him out of town. Verse 9. And he winds up in Berea, the next town over. Acts 17, verse 10. And quite a strong contrast here. It's um, led many a Baptist church to call themselves the Berean Baptist Church. Because we're the ones who listen to the word, right? That's the idea. They're open to the message. They evaluate it based on the word. So there's a real positive Uh, picture here that we need to be persuadable according to the word open to the ideas of others James 3 16 says we should be open to reason or willing to yield entreatable is another way to put it that describes the Bereans they receive the word with all readiness 
And second, they evaluate Paul's message based on the Word of God. They do it daily instead of weekly. That's rather interesting to me. A great deal of attention going to the Word. And that's something to consider today, too. We, we have access to a lot of teaching these days. And we're being taught when we don't realize it, too. Right? When we're listening to podcasts, or we see billboards, or online articles, we've got to evaluate it all based on the Word. So, the, the Bereans uh, are listening. Uh, many of them believe, verse 12. Verse 13, but... When the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul there too, they came there and agitated and stirred up the crowds. So Paul and Silas here are pursued by these persecutors. At this time, Paul's friends don't seem to wait for the standard riot and trial. They just send Paul away right away. <laughs> I find that interesting. And, and uh, Silas and Timothy stay behind. And that's always led to a lot of speculation. It, were Silas and Timothy a little bit less uh, type A personalities that would cause riots, that they could stay behind and they could do some quieter, more undercover ministry or something? We, we don't really know. But somehow they could stay behind and minister to the saints, uh, the, those new believers that Paul had just converted. So, and they sent him on to Athens. <coughs> And Athens, that's a, the rest of this chapter is a, Paul's famous speech in Athens that we'll look at next time. Um, just to close today, five quick things. Uh, one is uh, the importance of the persuasive arts. Presentation, speech, debate. Paul uh, persuades, and he doesn't do this springing it out of thin air. Paul had lots of training and practice we know at least in Jerusalem with Gamaliel and others. So Paul has per, is persuading here. Learn to argue in a, in a godly way. Learn to persuade others by asking questions, for example. Remember Jesus when he's 12 years old in the temple. They say that the teachers were all amazed by the questions that he asked. So sometimes it's simply about knowing what questions to ask. So the importance of the persuasive arts, <clears throat> thinking through a matter, uh, like, like what I did at the beginning of the message. Here's a few verses that tell us about Jesus in the Old Testament. Thinking through that and be, be, being able to articulate it yourself to friends. Second, uh, and this comes from John Stott, uh, second is that scripture is our textbook and it's our court of appeal. Paul uses it to preach from, like a textbook, and the listeners, especially in Berea, they use it to evaluate what he's saying. Um, we, most of us know the first question of Westminster quite well, right? Our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We would do, do, we would do well to be just as familiar with the second question. What rule has God given to direct us how to glorify and enjoy him? Answer, the word of God. How are we going to do this? This book tells us. So it's our textbook to show us Jesus. It's also a court of appeal. And that's, that's critical. Uh, um, the Bereans especially. They've got one eye on Paul who's teaching. And they've got one eye on scripture. 
and they're evaluating. Is he is what he's saying compatible with what's here, or is he going? Is he veering off from what's here? Everyone needs to do that at all times. Three. So because of that, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Uh, read your Bible sometimes away from a computer or a phone so that you're less distracted. And give more time to God's Word. You know, m- many of the books of the Bible, Galatians, Revelation, Ephesians, they were written to be read in one sitting or to be heard in one sitting. We don't do that very much anymore. We, we'll take a chapter at a time at most, half a chapter maybe. But it can be extremely enlightening. One of the speakers I heard just yesterday, um, a, a political commentator on Fox, who's on Fox almost every night, turns out she's a Lutheran. And she said, I just started reading the Bible this past April, just started from Genesis, reading it like it was a, any other book. Not, not irreverently, she meant, but like... I'm going to read the whole thing straight through. And she was just astounded at the, the drama, how impactful it was in her personal life to read the Bible as a book. That's something that's critical for us to do, not to just to be exposed to random different verses in a, in a Sunday service, but just to sit down and read Galatians. What is, what is Paul saying to the Galatians? Read your Bible. That's that's the point. Number four, read a variety of trusted writers who synthesize God's word together into what we call theology. Lots of, uh, there's a great heritage of writers who have done this. Um, From the Reformation, a couple of good places to start is Calvin and and Turretin. Those are two good sources. Uh, Modern writers might be Richard Pratt or Al Walters. They've written books that, are, that, that weave scripture into the one story that it is. Great, great stuff. There's lots of uh, writers who help us to see the big picture of scripture. And I'll close with the fifth one. Uh, there are really three uses of the word that I gleaned today, uh, this past week in my study. One is what Paul does with the Thessalonians. And that is, use scripture... Uh, to see, to worship, and to believe in Jesus. Right? John 5, 38, Jesus says this. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you'll have life. Uh, But these scriptures are are what speak of me. So the main point uh, uh, to read the Bible is not to become so well-versed in the Bible itself, but it's to see Jesus. That's the main thing. It isn't to memorize more and more and more verses if you're missing Jesus. So that's the first point of the word. The word is there, and especially books like the Gospel of John are there to worship and to believe in Jesus. Second use of the word, use it to simply enjoy God. As it says in Westminster, that's our, one of our chief ends is to enjoy God. We usually go right on to glorify him. We want to glorify. We've got to do things. We've got to glorify. We've got to somehow, yes, we'll get there. But we always skip over enjoy. Use scripture to enjoy God. Zephaniah 3 at the end is a great example where we see God rejoicing over his people with singing. 
because he has redeemed them. Or Psalm 3, I thought I'd just take a second to read a few verses from Psalm 3. The Psalms are just full of the psalmist enjoying God. Uh, Psalm 3, verse 3. You, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept, and I awoke again, for the Lord sustained me. There's a lot packed into that about how God helps us. The lifter of my head. Have you ever been in those moments where you're, moments, weeks, months, <laughs> where you're severely discouraged? I've been in those moments, and mentors, presiding ministers, other CREC pastors have said to me, lift up your head. And let the Lord lift up your head. Don't let your head hang and be discouraged. And it's God who can do that. God answers us. God sustains us and wakes us after we sleep. So that's the second use of the word of God. Enjoy him. Be with him. And third, use the word of God to direct you how to glorify him. That's back to the, the Westminster Second question, how do we glorify God? How do we know how to glorify him? By the word of God. My um, text there is Colossians 3, which is actually the commission that I'll save for the close of the service today. But uh, that's just one example uh, that I'll point to. Uh, the commission that we have at the end of the service often does this. It's often like, like a summary charge Okay, now that we've heard all of this, what are we supposed to do with this? Well, the Bible tells us in a few verses right here. That's what I'm always searching for. If you ever wonder about the commission, that's what's going on there. I'm trying to summarize the whole sermon, the whole service. What, what few verses of Scripture encapsulate this whole thing and tell us what to do and how to go out and be? That's the commission. God's telling us what he wants us to do. As he does that, of course, he is also, has also fed us at his table, and he blesses us and puts his name upon us. So it's not, a, it's not a moralistic thing like, go earn your salvation. It's nothing like that. But it's, you are God's people, fed by him, taught by him, go live for him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have shown us the difficulties of Paul and Silas. Lord, they faced such turmoil and opposition in Thessalonica. And we pray, Lord, that you would keep us from being discouraged when we see that opposition in our own hearts. As we heard last week in Romans 7, we do what we don't want to do, and we know that you hate. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we see that opposition in our own families, in our own churches or communities, in our nation, in our Michigan legislature, Heavenly Father, we pray that we would respond faithfully to that opposition, continuing to feed your people, with the word of God, feeding ourselves, 
continuing to be nursing mothers, faithful fathers, uh, to bring to bear your word upon our lives. For we know, Lord, that in your providence you will overcome all opposition. We thank you that we have that promise. We thank you that you are a faithful God who keeps his promises. And so, Lord, we uh, continue to commit to letting your word dwell richly within us, helping us to uh, stand fast uh, against all that opposes your kingdom and your rule. Lord, we lift up all of these things in the name of Jesus, who is the ever-living word, and we sing as he talks Ezekiel today, Ezekiel 2, verse 7. God says to Ezekiel, You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back. And there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go. Speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. Thus far the reading of God's word. The Lord's table is a visible word, an edible word from God for us. Prophets and teachers and parents digest God's word and then speak it to their flock, feeding God's people. God calls us to search the scriptures, the word, and so we must also search out the mystery of this edible word. At its most basic, what we're doing here, we are feeding upon Christ by faith. Jesus was the scroll that Ezekiel ate. He sustains us with fresh supplies of bread, we sing sometimes. Part of loving someone is searching them out. Why do you do that? What do you mean by that? We spend time with our spouse, learning about them, enjoying them. It's the same way with God. We search out his ways in his word, in worship, in water and wine, in his people. So enjoy the Lord today as you consider his gracious dealings with you and with those around you. Come for all things are now ready. The body of Christ broken for you. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you. 
and blessings.